Where are we going to go today? Um, well, we are marching through this section. It's the last section of Isaiah that ends up in, the, of course, the last book, 66. And we are looking at this great conqueror that's going to come. It's Jesus in his second advent. Um, and Isaiah is in the immediate, though, is telling him, hey, look, at some time in the near future, you're going to be taken. And they don't believe him because Isaiah, although he is a solid voice, there is a lot of incorrect voices that are talking at this time. And he's wanting them to know that you're going to be taken. And, but not listening to God's prophets and his leaders was nothing new. If we're looking back and if you're going through the McShane, you're in numbers. And, and you've seen this in action. Moses, when he told the people, you know what? You're not going to enter into the promised land right away because you guys believe the testimony of everyone but Caleb and Joshua. So now you're going to spend 40 more years in the wilderness. And what was their response? Their response was not to repent. No, instead they went out against what Moses told them and decide to defeat the people of Canaan on their own, and they got wiped out. So I wonder, I often wondered, and it's one of those things, you know, I tell you guys to keep a spiritual question book, so when you get to heaven you can ask these questions. I wonder if Caleb or Joshua had like a scorecard. You know, because God said from the age 20 and up, people that didn't believe that in me, that they were to enter the promised land at that time. I wondered if they kept a scorebook of who all was remaining, who all was still alive that would prevent them from getting in. It's just one of those things you think about as you go through this. But today we're going to take a look at see how, at this time, how God's people, the majority of us, worship God, their heart motive, and also we're going to see God's objectives in worship and the benefits as a guide. Spoiler alert, the majority is going to fail, and we will see their sin exposed. So this chapter is a call to God's people to recognize they live in sin and rebellion, and what they could experience, though, if they obeyed God and loved Him, and they chose Him over the pride that they had for themselves. Verse 1 we're going to see is a loud cry. It is a warning cry to the people with the intent of exposing them to their sins. They right now feel they are very religious and outwardly they give all the signs uh, that they follow all the requirements of God. But inside they find no satisfaction in being obedient. Verses 2 and 3 will prove to us that the majority of the people lost track of the essence of worshiping God, and instead they wanted a God that functioned like the neighboring kingdoms around them, where they put in the effort and they dialed in. It's almost like Amazon now. You have your card on file, you choose what you want, and you go push. And, and you get it, and you get it. And now that they're putting that new distribution center in here, it's even almost instantly. 
That's the type of religion they wanted. I did this, this, and this, so God give me this. And so an action we're going to see is they want to perform an action that they called fasting, not fasting in, in God's way, or they pretended to be humble and to get what they wanted. They forgot that they just needed to obey and love God and worship Him according to His requirements and following Him His way. So we're going to look at chapter 58 in the following ways. Verse 1, we're going to look at the voice of rebuke. Verse 1, the voice of rebu rebuke. Verses 2 through 5, a fast without blessing. A fast without blessing. 6 through 12, God's chosen fast and its blessing. Verses 13 and 14, a feast with blessing. And then the last part of 14, it's a voice of promise. A voice of promise. So let's look at the text. Isaiah 58. Cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Behold, you fast to only quarrel and fight and hit with the wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such a fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow his head down like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house? When you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call the Lord, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, and shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom shall be as noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong, 
and you shall be like the watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall, you shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall, be, you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own way, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just can't tell you enough about this passage. We see everything wrong with worship when it's focused on man and man's needs. And we see what you promise us by getting back to the heart of what worship is. Seeing you, loving you. How can we forget everything you've done for us and just seek our own immediate love and our own immediate ways. Thank you for this time. Just, Father, send your Holy Spirit. Help us to open our hearts and our minds. Help us to put everything else away from us for right now. And Holy Spirit, just speak to us now. In your, pre in your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So verse 1, the voice of rebuke. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. The purpose of this message is, is to cause the people to see the error of their worship, for them to understand that they are in sin and they need to be convicted of it and get on the right path. And God says a few verses ago that we saw last week in 57, 18 and 19, that repentance is his creative work. Cry aloud used here or proclaim is a unique expression emphasizing the real and true use of the human voice for God's purpose here. And we see it also later in verse 14 in the resulting proclamation saying that it is from the mouth of the Lord to us here. Now telling them to lift their voice like a trumpet would have made a lot of sense in this era to them um, because the communication across long distances was by trumpet blasts. Uh, Numbers 10 is a great example of that. Um, it's using a trumpet to summon people. So the tribes were spread around the main tent of the meeting, or we could say the town square. And so by the type of trumpet blast made, the leaders knew if they just needed to show up, or if a specific tribe needed to show up, or if there was an emergency. We didn't have the Amber Alerts, Amber Alert system back then. I know Saturday, if you got the one about the evacuation in, in Chevy Chase Ranch. It was a crack if we were at Sawyer's baseball game. 
and all of a sudden you heard the whole crowd, their phone went Amber Alert. It was, they didn't have that. They used the trumpets. And you can still hear running this today, right? I know if you're on a base when it's 4.30 or, or 7.30, you hear, at least on Edwards, you hear the, um, the Reveille, and I just forget what the other one is, but you'll also hear the uh, national anthem at the end of the day they used to, to communicate that. This message the trumpet was to declare was to expose these people to their rebellion and their sin. So two through five, we're going to look at a fast without blessing. A fast without blessing. Two starts off, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments and they delight to draw near to God. The yet that's used here in the yet they seek me daily is to alert us that though the people's religious practices were sound, seem sound, it is the fact that it was actually rebellion and sin. It seemed good, right? It was done day after day. It was committed. To all appearances, their delight to know God was a model that all religions, religions should model and reproduce. In verse 2, we see they seek Him. They want to know Him in His ways. They want to be in His presence. They are eager for God to be near them. The eagerness to draw near is something we saw and see in Leviticus 1-2, when the people could, in fact, bring a free will offering to God. The mindset was coming to God and bringing Him this offering with joy and celebration. But that was replaced by this people's sin. In fact, we see in the New Testament, their behavior is shown to us in Mark 7, verses 5 through 13. Um, and this section is repeating what we see currently going on in this day. You see there's a Pharisee in, in Mark 7. He appears very religious, right? And um, what they're doing, though, is this free will offering they're giving, they're calling it Corbin. Corbin. So what that was, it was a religious loophole. You, as a young man doing well, could say, you know what? All my goods are tied up as a free will offering to God. And so when your parents, who might have been old, unable to work and were starving, had the audacity to come to you for help, you could say, I, I would love to help you. You're my parents but all my goods are tied up in this escrow account for God to give him. It was completely wicked, folks, um, because the thing is, if they need it, they could pull it out. But this Corbin, as they called it, was a free will offering of sin and rebellion. It was opposite of God's law. 
But these Pharisees seem so righteous by showing that all their goods were tied up and, and tied up in account with God. So they acted, merely acted, as if they were drawing near to God when in fact they were the opposite and they were so far from him. Verse 3 says, Why have we fasted, the people talking to God, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, he says, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Again, what seems to be an act of obedience and humility is actually a calculated maneuver they used of just going through the motions, thinking that they fooled God, and he would be able to, he would give them what they wanted and add to their spiritual bank account or bring comfort to them in another form. But according to God's law, it tells us that the, the, day of command, the day of atonement was the only command to fast. We see that in Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23, 26 through 32. It was a day of fasting, a day of rest, and more importantly, it was a day to take from your labor and delight in your God. Much like we do on Sunday, take time to come together as a group and worship God. However, much like the Pharisees in the New Testament, the behavior changed from that of delighting in God and being obedient to his word to performing these meritorious works and showing God how good you could be and showing others around you how good you seem to be so you would earn favor. This is exactly what we see, again, using the New Testament as a model. We see in Luke 18, 11 through 13, and it says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we know Jesus, when he told that story, asked, which one do you think went away forgiven? The Pharisee basically says he was thankful. I don't think he even realized this. He was thankful he was not a repentant sinner. Folks, this is just the appearance of holiness on their part and the appearance of a love for God. You know, you got to think, does this still take place today? It reminded me of a story I heard from a man whose family was, um, they, they were Jewish, and he went and visited his mom, and it was during the, the high holy days, and they went to the temple, and they got to listen to a message from the rabbi, um, and it, it talked about the fact that all the people were in a fast right then. And after the service, the mom took him to her favorite restaurant. So he's a little bit confused. He's sitting there and he's looking around. He sees a lot of the same people from the temple were in the restaurant. 
And he said, I'm just getting ready to ask my mom. Is like, what are we doing? Isn't this wrong? You're, you know, you just get, were told you need to be fasting. As he's talking to her, he sees the rabbi sitting there eating. And so she tells him, oh, don't worry about it. No one really fasts. So it was as if God was only in the temple. So they got to walk in and pretend that they were doing this. Then afterwards, they all went out to the same restaurant to eat. So, yes, it still happens today. And like my friend said, he goes, I don't even know why they borrow, bothered doing that. And, and they did bother because it's the same principle here. You get to have the outward appearance of being religious without living it. Okay, and we also see later in verse 3 and in verse 4, both use the words, they both use the word behold. This calls attention to the practical and the spiritual outworking of their religious day. God tells them, you know, you are seeking your own pleasure during a solemn, holy day. So they were taking work off as if it was a holiday, but instead they were keeping their workers working and oppressing them. And, and the thing is, this mirrors our time today, right? Because almost everyone, in least America today, can treat Sunday like a second Saturday. I remember growing up in this town, almost everything was closed except restaurants on a Sunday. Um, now it's shocking if you find somewhere closed. And then when you go to the south that gives the appearance of, of being a, the Bible Belt, you see a lot of businesses still closed. And it's shocking to me, where it wouldn't have been when I was a kid, but now it's shocking to me that everything seems closed. Verse 4, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, and to hit with the wicked fist. And I'm sorry, but reading this verse, it, it's actually pretty funny. If you can imagine, they give that outward appearance that they're being holy, and they're trying to act holy, but instead they're hanging around with their own family, and they're growing tired of it. They're hungry, they're agitated, and pretty soon someone says the wrong thing, and the fight is on. Can you just see it? If you ever had neighbors like this, you can really see it and imagine, and imagine what exactly it was like. Uh, all of a sudden, the volume starts going up and up in the house, and pretty soon, they are going at it. Later in, chapter, in, in verse 4, it says, Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? These verses show us that God's rejection, God's rejection of their religious exercise. Their goal was fasting was just doing something in ritual, right? The, the reed in the wind gives us a thing of just continual bowing, spreading out the south cloth. Again, it's just an outward appearance. 
following a recipe like to make a cake. That's all they were doing. This fast did not ever progress into a formal act and therefore provided no treasure for them in heaven. God gave them a day to humble themselves and remember they served this awesome God, this all-powerful God, and they were to humble themselves and commune with him. Leviticus 23, 27, and 29, it uses the same word for humble. We see it here as afflicted, but it's the same thing, humble, humble. It had become a ritual. These people were used to just pleasing themselves and, and their families through their action. They did not comprehend the sanctity of this day. Now we're going to move to verses 6 through 12. God's chosen fast and its blessing. Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. In verses 6 and 7, we see God's objectives of his fast. He wants a just society and individuals having their needs met, even, even those in our family. In verse 6, to loose the bonds of wickedness is God telling us we need to remove any social structures that reduce or restrict the liberty of others. To undo the straps of the yoke is to eliminate any way people are treated like animals or like slaves. It's also a call to action to ensure this doesn't happen again. So instead of bondage or brokenness, there should be freedom, and it's not enough just to free them from the yoke. God is demanding the yoke be broken so it's never used again. And in ver whilst verse 6 shows us the societal focus, 7 takes us into the individual cases. So... He wants us to know in seven, it is, not, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. These things are things that can be done immediately. While the ones in verse six might need to go into focus groups, go into a committee, and then take acts of Congress, the ones in verse seven do not. There's something individuals can do. We need to share our food, shelter, and, and clothe. And this is all done through personal involvement. God is saying, what I give you, you must share. We must be provide, willing to provide immediate care when we see it. And the phrase, do not hide yourself from your own flesh, means family, neighbors. We can care for the poor in Africa. And he's saying, while I know you're able to do that with what you want and when you're not, the immediate care of family and friends is not something you decide. It's a need they have that you need to meet. 
We see this in Deuteronomy 22.1. It says, do not ignore your brother's loose sheep. And that could also mean neighbor. It says, capture and return them. And if they're not around, you keep it, take care for it, and give it to them when you see them. Now, by following the objectives in 6 and 7, God lays out the blessings we get from that in verses 8 and almost all of 9. 8 says, then, you sh- then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call the Lord, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. You notice right away when you go into this that the, complete, the complaints the people had in three, are, three and four are shown to be mere folly. Because if you're following God's requirements that he lays out, you never wind up as they did, yelling out to God saying, hey, what about me? What about my needs? It just doesn't happen. In verse 8, we see the first word in then. Then is used. This word is for emphasis, like break forth, like erupting. It shows a very powerful word. So we get this powerful word then, and then he gives us four blessings that are promised. Number one, is a new beginning to life. Number two is a personal restoration in healing. Number three is pretty cool. You see security with righteousness going before you. And the glory of the Lord is your rear guard. So you have him coming forward and behind you. And then the fourth is the best. It's this free-flowing relationship with God. How awesome. Then the rest of nine and, and then half of ten. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. These verses return to the proper way to conduct the fast or the worship of God. This part brings it all home to all of us by focusing on us personally, by looking at our behavior and our involvement. The yoke being taken away refers to, um, relates to verse 6, but wants us to realize that while society may be geared towards unjust government and unequal in their ways, and we may do the same thing in our own life, God is saying, you must stop. You must stop. Pointing the finger that's used here is only found in Proverbs 6.13. 613 and it relates to basically you need to stop passing on a rumor 
you need to stop. What God is telling us is that we may have, is telling us that we may have a social conscience and want to help people, but we still may do everything great and still be a burden because of our speech and our actions that cause turmoil. The picture we're to walk away from this is, is God wants his people to be determined in their worship and have a sacrificial commitment to his commands. And above all else, above all else, follow through. Okay, so the rest of 10 and then verse 12, through verse 12, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watering garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you will be called the repair of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. So now we get to see a second set of blessings like we saw in 8 and 9. Um, starts again with the word then to get make sure we understand that there's emphasis placed on these. We see four blessings in this section. The first one is there is a clear guidance in life, a clear guidance. We know that the need to know, first of all, okay, that the imagery that's used here of light does not relate to a dawn or new beginning that we saw in eight. Here it's related to darkness and how light, hard life can get when we need to know which way to turn to God. He's showing there's a light. God is saying he will remove the darkness with the constant supply of divine guidance, divine light. The second blessing in the beginning of verse 11, we see there is blessing of divine supply in the time of need. A divine supply in the time of need. In scorched places, is only found here. And we can be familiar with this if we ever go walking through the, the deserts out here and we see something that's been in the sun so long, it is just scorched white. This is a related picture is of this not happening to us and in fact that we're so nourished in this dry and barren land. And looking at this, I got to tell you, it gives me an imagery of, of a well-watered, nourished tree, like the one we see in Psalm 1, verse 3, a tree planted by a stream that's always green and luscious. That's what God's giving us this picture of. So the thought being expressed here is not what satisfaction God will give, but where he will give it. When, when everything is at its toughest and we're struggling and nothing good seems to be on the horizon, we will get it. It's not only a promise here of external support for you, but it's also 
of inward strengthening of your soul. It is a gift of durability to get you through that race. Thirdly, there are blessings of restoration and continuous. This is a promise of continually continual blessing reaching into further generations and extending from extending to recovery from past disaster it uses the word ancient ruins here to a provision of future well-being and you got to love this part here as we look at people that came before us the people that we may not even know prayed for us and the fact that now we are in fact praying for our future generations that this blessing is promised through our obedience in praying for them and shows us how God will bless them. Verses 13 through 14, a feast with blessing, a feast with blessing. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Isaiah is blowing their minds here. He's reminding them that the Sabbath was not a fast, but instead it was a feast. And you could even say, as we, we saw earlier in Isaiah, that this is pointing, pointing to that ultimate worship when we had that marriage supper of the Lamb. They said it's the best food, the best drink that we will have on that day. So he's continuing, Isaiah is to counter the negative words from the people, not only with the promises and the positive works, but also setting up this feast over how they were behaving in a manner of fast. So God is showing them and us that he is more interested in our relationship with him being a strong relationship and how we do that is to learn and to conform with what he has ordained so in the beginning of verse 13 is on the recognition recognition of the sabbath as holy and honorable later in verse 13 is the protection of the sabbath from non-god honoring activities Turn back your foot is the exact same meaning that we would use today, meaning watch your step. God is telling them and telling us that the worship of him calls for a careful, thoughtful living. We are not called to do as we please, but we're called to reflect on him and his commands and ensure that there is our ensure that that our focus is on him while we are on this earth god is, says the understanding of him and the true worship of him is a command because he is holy and we are to seek that holiness in our own lives as we trust and learn more about god we find out that it is not a burden to worship him it is not a burden to worship him and it's truly something as we grow that we delight in. 
And as we grow, we seek to know God better, and we will love what He loves, and we will hate what He hates. We will do this because doing the things He hates is not bringing honor to God. And our ultimate goal is to bring Him honor in this life. By doing this, God says in the first part of verse 14 that we will take delight in Him. By truly following His ordinances will bring grace and a way to God Himself. The last part of verse 14, the voice of promise. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the final word on this subject comes from God himself. In contrast from the early verses on rebellion, this is a promise of blessing. And we see another blessing, that in life's difficulties, we will have the confidence to face them and ride on the heights of earth. And the enjoyment of this covenant blessing, it says, feed you with the blessing of Jacob your father. All that God had promised ancestrally through the inheritance of Jacob will now be blessed, which includes us. In verse 1, it was those descendants of Jacob who sinned, and now in verse 14, the repentant of that call out will enter into a covenant blessing. The four in this part is from the mouth of the Lord, and it must be emphasized because it's saying it's coming from God. It's coming from God. So next week we're going to move into 59, 1 through 13, and we get to look at more of this. And I was hoping to get into the repentant part, but that will come in two weeks when Al shares it with us. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you so much for this time where we can come and, and be quiet and listen to your words and understand your meaning for us. We thank you for the fact that we see that we need to grow in our sanctification, our learning of you, our, our actions and behaviors to just seek your glory in everything we do. Father, may we never forget it. And may we never turn to the left or the right and seek our own way, but seek yours. We thank you so much for this time. Amen.